a lot of times what I'm looking for is um, you'll see a security tool and they're saying, hey, we go ahead and we do this for the MITRE attack and we fit in this MITRE attack or we fit in this whatever attack framework. Okay, I got that. But I'm using the NIST framework. So where do you fit in there? Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? All right, welcome to another episode of Audience First. I have a very special guest today, as always, the one and only Gary Hayslip. Gary, I'm not going to do any justice giving you an introduction here. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell me who you are, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it? Right now, I'm the uh, I'm the CISO for um, yeah, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for SoftBank Investment Advisors for the Vision Fund and Vision Fund Two. Um, I've been in cyber and IT and privacy and risk. I've been in that kind of space for 20 plus years. Active duty military was when I originally kind of got started and after I left the military, worked for the, the federal government, for the city of San Diego, and then eventually fell into the industry at, at WebRoot and at SoftBank. Um, so I've had multiple different verticals that I've worked in. And I'm just, to me, cyber is just, I've always found it fascinating. I've, um, yeah, I probably could have done my degree in, in double E and just been happy being an engineer, but I've always loved computers. And I've always loved trying to break things and look at how things are built and just that curiosity. And then running teams, leading people and mentoring and working with uh, with teams and just figuring out how I can not just protect the company, but actually help the company with their revenue issues and with their dev teams and with the new products. And so it's just one of those, just one of those fields that I thoroughly enjoyed because it's constantly changing. It's not boring. It makes, it definitely keeps me on my toes. I have to continually educate myself um, and I have the opportunity to teach at the mentor and work with new CISOs and work with other vets like myself that are transitioning and coming into the field. Yeah. So it's, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I, and obviously I, I write books on it. I post on it. I present on various subjects within the field as well. Nice. So as a CISO, what do you hate most about the industry? <laughs> um, I think some of the things that just get kind of frustrating is the people will get companies, you'll get focused on a particular subject like machine learning or AI. And that's all you hear. I've got, we got AI and everything. We got blockchain and everything. We got machine learning and everything. And, um, that drives me nuts. Because especially today, you pretty much expect most technologies are going to have machine learning in them. That's just table stakes. I don't really care about that. Tell me how am I going to use it? What problems are going to solve? Why should I care? Why are you different than the other half a dozen companies that are doing the same thing? And so I, 
I kind of, at times, I think um, we have this herd mentality where you'll have a bunch of companies that'll just kind of squash into a sector and they're all doing the same thing. It's just different colors of the same thing. And that just drives me nuts. I'm trying to solve a problem. I'm trying to protect my company. I've got a unique business case for what I'm trying to do. And I hate having to deal with six to half a dozen or more vendors who are all doing the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. So, you know, as a CISO at SoftBank, what is your unique challenge, your bleeding neck challenge right now that's tying back to your business case? One of the interesting challenges for us is that um, we're 100% cloud. We're full SaaS. I don't have anything on-prem. So it's, uh, I got 300 plus SaaS applications. Um, and so you, your data stack, you know, I mean, your security stack's different. Your focus is really on the data layer and you're really focused on um, your employees or how they authenticate what they have access to, how they handle data, how, how data is moved about the business and who's allowed to access these apps or things being audited correctly. It's, um, it's really a large data governance, data protection puzzle. When you go 100% cloud, um, I'm not, I don't own the data centers. I don't own any servers or anything that's on-prem. It's, um, I have to admit, it's very unique. In my 20 plus years of my career, this is the first time where I've ever had where I wasn't hybrid, where I wasn't just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm all one thing. I'm all cloud. Tell me a little bit about the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve as a CISO. <laughs> um, my ultimate goal would be for me to be able to come in one morning and there's nothing to do because we're totally secure and it's nice and quiet. But that's, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's quite the motivation. <laughs> well, that's not happening. Um, just because you've got, yeah, you've got partners who do things that they probably shouldn't do. You've got software that needs updated. You've got employees that um, make mistakes. You've got um, a lot of the criminal syndicates and stuff that are attacking your organization. Um, so there's always things to do. I guess what I'm what I'm moving towards is building my stack where everything is integrated, where I've got data at my fingertips in real time, that I'm relatively positive that it's accurate so that I can make decisions. And then those decisions that need to be made, we automate where we can, or we push to a third party like a SOC or an EDR provider where we can. Um, and then those that are left tend to be critical things that I need to make as an executive, or I need to be able to send up to my CTO or my operating committee for us to discuss. Um, and that's the, and that's really the core of what I'm doing now with the stack that I've built, the team that I've built, the procedures and the controls and policies that I've put in place is building something where platform-wise it's fully integrated. My stack integrates with the IT stack. And I can, when I'm talking with my boss, with our CTO, I know from a pretty good level of uh, certainty that what we're looking at is true and the data is accurate and it's in real time. It didn't happen like three days ago um, so that we can make decisions. And I think that's kind of the holy grail for a lot, a lot of us systems. <laughs> so take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate <laughs> a new solution to automate your tech stack or an EDR provider, for example. Tell me what happened. Well, I mean... 
I've I've written about this. It's within my article and everything that we were chatting about earlier. Um, CISOs, when they're looking at a technology, it's not because they just, oh, it's nice and pretty and the lights are kind of cool and he or she wants to go buy something. It's normally because they're fixing a problem. And for me, typically when I come into a role, I will first do an internal assessment and kind of baseline where we're at with risk. And then the gaps that I identify, I will talk to my peers in the other departments, we'll level set what I should be working on now and what I can push out six months, 12 months, 18 months. And kind of what it does is it basically, after I triage that, I've now got a list of projects. I've now got a list of, of issues that my team and I will address. And some of those will be policy related. Some of those will be technology related. We may decide to remove a technology that's been in place for the last two or three years because it's just not hacking it anymore. You know, or it's just gotten too cost prohibitive or it's just too clunky. And the staff, the team I have is too junior for the technology. And I need something that will kind of fit their skill sets and experience. Or it's just, hey, this is a new requirement and this is a, a gap. We got to fill this. We're, we're missing this area. If we're going to go SOC 2 or if we're going to go ISO 27001 because we're worried about GDPR or something like that. Um, so typically there's there's a need and it's it's almost always based on some type of a framework or some type of regulatory requirement that will drive me to start looking at a platform. And then once I um, I start looking at a, a, specific, a specific technology or a service to add to my uh, my security stack, the things that come into play that, that, that my team and I will start looking at is one, we look at right away, does it integrate? I don't want anything standalone. You know, so I'm looking at, will it integrate into the current technology stack that I have? Um, is it API driven? So I can pull data. So I can pull data into my SIM or I can pull data into my third-party SOC or I can share data across the stack to the IT stack for, if, if needed. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking um, for what type of data does it generate? Is it, um, is it handling sensitive data? where I got to worry about regulatory issues? Is the data that's that's running inside the solution, is it running in a proprietary format? I don't want it running into a proprietary format because if I decide later on to go ahead and change contracts and switch to a different technology, I don't want to have to get into a piss and match with the vendor to try to get my data back or to try to get my data destroyed because I don't want to leave it out there. Um, some of the things we also look at is ease of use. My staff is going to want to go ahead and actually use it in a POC um, for a couple of weeks to bake it. And and what I'm looking for is how easy it is for them to use, how easy is it for us to pull reports, how easy is it for us to uh, integrate and tie into our other technologies. Um, I'm going to look at, um, does it help me answer any of my, uh, my KRIs that my operating committee is expecting me to answer? Um, or does it generate some new metrics that I wasn't even aware of um, that have value that I can do something with. It's kind of a checklist of things that, that, that we're looking at. And then we, of course, one of the other big things is the cost factor as well. If I, if I go ahead and I'm replacing something, one of the first things I will get asked by my boss, is it a like for like, are you okay? You're removing something old, you're putting in something new. Are you getting at least the same services and then show us the plus? What else value wise are you getting as well? And then we look at cost. And if I'm, uh, 
if I'm getting at least a like for like and then some other new services and the costs are relatively around the same, that's a good to go. If the costs are cheaper, that's a really good to go. If the costs are like twice as much, that's not happening. You know, they, they're going to be right away. They're going to be like, hey, unless this is going ahead and like replacing three or four FTEs, or if this is uh, totally bringing in something new that's going to make my dev team so happy that they want to adopt my kids or something, that's not going to happen. You know, so I mean, even though I've got all these factors of how it's going to fit easy use and, you know, within the stack and how my teams like it, cost is a big thing. And if, I go ahead and I'm talking with the vendor and they're, I get some vendors, well, it's just cost per seat. We've got to set cost per user. And then if I talk to a vendor and they got this weird formula where it's like, it's the number of vendors and how much hardware you have. And it's how much data ingest throughput you have on Tuesdays at 4 PM. And we factor it all together. And I'm just like, dude, I can't even explain this to my CFO. Why the hell would I even want to look at this? You know? And just the overcomplicated pricing schemes just don't fly. They, they don't. And I understand some of the, um, some of the vendors that use heavy cloud that, that are, that are using cloud storage and everything that they got to go ahead and factor in. They just need to understand that, you know, when you start getting in these really weird pricing schemes that try to cover their costs for cloud, um, most companies will take a step back because it, it's very hard to explain on budget. It's very hard to explain if I can go ahead and say, here, it's a set cost per user and this price doesn't change. And I know next year there may be a two to 5% increase or, or whatever, but it's roughly going to be around the same thing. My CFO is going to be happy because he knows what to expect from me. But if it's the price costs are constantly changing, you know, that's, that's going to get stupid really quick. So at what point would it be a good idea to start talking pricing? <laughs> um, normally it's, um, normally we start talking pricing. Um, if, if I see the demo and the team and I like it and we want to go ahead and test it out, I'll probably start asking pricing even before we even start a POC because I want to know ballpark where we're at. I'm not going to go through all of the effort to stand it up and let my team start using it. We start POC in it. And then you go ahead and surprise, you jack me with a price that's just not going to float. I, I want to know ahead of time before we even start establishing that relationship with each other, because um, I already know what's going to be acceptable with my CFO. I already know what's going to be acceptable from a budgetary perspective if we have to move things around or not. And um, so I'm going to probably ask up front. Let's go back a little bit. I want to probe a little bit on how you evaluate the solutions for specific automation or, or integration. Let's say you start that evaluation process. You, you established the problem and yeah. the need, right? But why didn't the evaluation happen sooner? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of times what will happen is um, I can come in, I can do an assessment. I see I baseline where we're at. I put together my strategic plan and we're just not mature enough. I may not, I, my team may not even be ready for the technology yet. You know, um, if, if the technology requires us to be comfortable with coding, because we got to go ahead and we've got to, maybe it's got a CLI, like one of the regular Sims where you got to go in and kind of build stuff, but I've got junior personnel. Eh, I may need to get some of the other low hanging fruit done and get some of these guys through some training first before we go ahead and look at that technology, we're just not going to be ready for it. So a lot of times it's, 
a lot of times it's a maturity aspect. Um, a lot of times I may have other critical issues that the business is telling me you need to fix these first, even though from a security perspective, I'd rather do this one. If the business tells me, and this is the reason why once I do an assessment and I've got kind of a, a list of gaps and a list of issues that I'm looking at that we're probably going to need to address. I, I always bring in uh, my peers from the other departments, from the other business units that I work with, and I want their input. They've been there longer. They understand how the business runs. They understand projects and stuff that are running in parallel that I may not know about. Um, and I want to understand my impact because security always has an impact on the business. And so when I list my issues, hey, I, we just completed this assessment, whether it's CIS or NIST CSF or ISO 27001 or SOC 2, I've got this list of gaps. These are things that we need to address. Um, I think this list, these are what's important for me to address first. What say you? And a lot of times we end up moving things around. And what will end up happening is, you know, um, typically 20 to 30% of that list will get moved around and it'll be about things that I didn't know about. It'll be about things that um, the security team was just unaware of that are happening within the business. So we get more clarity and more visibility in what's happening. And I look at the fact that now what we're working on, now the strategic plan I got for the next 18 months is more aligned to the business. And then what I do is every six months I'll reassess to make sure nothing's changed, to make sure that we're still spending on what we should be. The resource allocations are still what they should be. Um, because I've had before where the company's changed and now all of a sudden this is important or all of a sudden this is not important anymore and we don't have to spend on it. How about you focus on this instead? And so it's, it's, it's a constant balancing act. It's never in stone. That's the reason why you, know, you put this together, you get input from the other uh, business units. Um, you put together and you'll brief, like when I usually brief the board, I'll tell them, this is my 18 month strategy. We do it in six month increments. And we're going to continually assess because the business changes. And I want to make sure that we're flexible and that this security program is resilient to go ahead and grow with the business. And, and they, they, they typically like that. That's what they're looking for. They want to know that I'm being good stewards of the money that they're giving me and that we're aligning to what the business needs. With that said, if there's serious critical risks, we're going to have a discussion on those because I don't own those. They belong to the business. And we will discuss how we're going to address them and whether we're going to accept them or whether I'm going to put a technology in place to, to manage them or we give them to a third party. And that's the reason why I, I put together this flexible process. And so it, as the answer to your question, really, it's, it's, it's a maturity factor, depending on where the business is and also depending on where my security program is. Mm -hmm. I love that. How do you go about, though, researching a new technology? And how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is I mean, you, know, you go to a, you go to a lot of um, industry events. Yeah, you know, I'm part of ISSA and ISACA and ISC squared and a bunch of the professional events. So you talk to your peers. I'm on multiple CISO Slack channels, so I've probably got about two to three hundred CISOs at my keyboard that I can go ahead and reach out to. And, and a lot of times on the Slack channels, I'll ask. Hey, I'm looking at this specific technology or I got this specific issue. How are you guys handling it? And someone will reach out and say, well, I'm doing this. Or somebody will reach out and say, well, hey, um, you should take a look at this vendor. 
And so, I mean, I'll, so I'll start collecting data that way. You also have the, um, the, the different, or yeah, I guess you can see the different, um, forester and gardener stuff like that, that you'll collect info from when you're researching online. And so for me, it's kind of an aggregate of multiple sources that I'll pull together. And typically from that, I'll get two or three that I should then start researching in depth. And of those two or three, um, I will then really start going in depth and I'm looking at the stability of the company. I'm looking at who works there. And do I know anybody? I'm looking at the technology itself and what it does. Um, I'm looking at how it would be a fit within my org. Um, and then I'll probably reach out either I'll, I'll reach out or our or MSSP or somebody will, will reach out for me and, and then we'll proceed to have a discussion and start looking at the, the three until I can make a decision. How do you go about finding the in-depth research of those vendors? Um, I just bribe a bunch of people. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, a lot of it is by word of mouth. It's um, like I said, you know, on those, on those Slack channels, if I'm talking with a CISO who's already used it or who's already, who's already a customer or who's already using it. A lot of times they will share info or they will like, Hey, let's do a zoom real quick and I'll log in and you can go ahead and just look over my shoulder and we'll wander around and I'll show you everything. And I've had multiple peers of mine do that for me so I could take a look at it. Um, the, um, you know, so it's stuff like that, 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 that's what I do. I will take a look at, um, who works at the company that I know. And in the cyber industry, I, I seem to know somebody almost at every company or, or somebody who's using the technology. Um, and so it's, uh, and that's what I do is I just start leveraging that network that gives me kind of the first round of data that really kind of level set somebody I want to talk to. Um, and then from that, I start digging in with Gartner and Forrester and a lot of different organizations like that, pulling data to see. Have they written anything as well? And then I'll go ahead and, and I'll start looking in uh, the Wall Street Journal and a lot of that. I feel like the, the Wall Street Journal and uh, several of the other different um, sites and start looking at articles around the company. Not so much the technology, but I want to know more about the company. And again, I'm looking from a, stu from a stability standpoint. I don't want to go ahead and buy a technology from a company and then they go bankrupt. You know, I'm using them and all of a sudden they're not there. At the same time, if the company just recently got acquired, I want to know who acquired them because what I'm looking at is usually there's going to be some type of price change of costs and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm very leery about that as well because some, um, some PE firms, some companies that buy technology companies have a track record for reorganizing the company or changing their pricing structures and stuff. And so if I see a technology I'm really interested in, but they just got purchased by one of them, I may hold off and let the dust settle and see what happens. And so that's what I'm saying is it's a, it's a wide range of, um, of where you pull data from. And, and typically it's over a week or two, it's over several weeks. And I, and I don't do it in a, a glass bubble. I spend a lot of time talking with peers of mine and finding out what they're using. And it's not uncommon for me to get half a dozen or more um, other CISOs who will jump in and tell me about what they're doing and what they're using. Mm -hmm. How long does it take for you to kind of start research those solutions on average? Um, two to three weeks on average. Yeah, it usually takes about two to three weeks for me to hone in on 
who I want to talk to. And then um, once we go in and we start talking to them and we do the POCs, it's another couple of weeks. So probably about six weeks on average from start to finish, we should have it nailed down as to who we're interested in. All right. Are there any are there any differences or anomalies right now in the market that marketers, salespeople, or vendors can take advantage of to stand out, in your opinion? Uh, um, what I'm looking for is a lot of times. What I'm looking for is um, the you'll see a security tool and they're saying, "Hey, we go ahead and we do this for the miter attack." And we fit in this miter attack or we fit in this whatever attack framework. Okay, I got that. But I'm using the NIST framework. So where do you fit in there? Um, and so that's where I, I really wish they would actually, you know, is I get the fact that you're talking the offensive framework, but you should really talk about the compliance framework, which a lot of us unfortunately have to live in. Show us that as well. And then the other piece that I look at is... Um, from a, a monetary value is I'm like, okay, if I go ahead and I put your solution in, I understand the compliance framework piece that you're helping me with. I want to understand what risks are you helping me reduce and what, if any, monetary value is that? Um, so, because again, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking to when I'm talking with the, my CFO or I'm talking to my CEO or my CTO, when I'm talking with the executive team, and we're doing changes to the security, you know, stack. You know, the biggest thing is how is it going to impact the business? The second biggest thing is, is it tends to be a cost. So they want to know value-wise, what is this doing? Is this going to bring another service that we didn't have? Is this going to allow the dev teams to be able to now do this, be able to work from home and work and be secure? Is it bringing in new services or bringing in new capabilities that we're able to do, but be able to do it securely? And um, and there's cost reductions to that. And it really helps if you can speak to them, if you can kind of explain those use cases, because that's the differentiator. That's the kind of thing that those are the discussions I have on my end when I'm talking um, with the individuals that have the money as to why I need to put this in. Um, not only meeting the compliance issues and preventing the offensive attack issues, but I'm also doing this. It's I'm reducing our risk overhead that we have and um, providing these new capabilities or these new services and here's the monetary value of that and uh, sometimes you know orgs can speak to that sometimes they can't one more question before we get into some, into some of the spicy stuff here um tell me you said the person who has the money who who has the money who's holding that money for you when you when you want to purchase a solution well i mean the CFO ultimately has the money, but typically <clears throat> whoever the, the, the CISO directly reports to, whether it's the CIO, the CTO, whomever. And I look at it as there's multiple buckets and I don't, I don't really limit myself to think that as a CISO, I only have one bucket of money and it's what the CFO gives me. I look at, and I always try to do wherever I'm at is I'm going to have specific technologies that are just directly related to my team, like antivirus or EDR or SIM. They're predominantly related to my team. And so, yes, my team should pay for them. There's other technologies like two-factor authentication or single sign-on um, 
that are used by other departments and that are used by other teams. And so my team may manage it, but I think from a cost perspective, other departments should help pay for it. And so I tried to make that case. I mean, I, I did it at the city of San Diego where about 40% of my budget was actually paid for by other departments for specific security services that they were using for their teams that were out in the field and for their departments and a lot of their IOT equipment and stuff. So I look at there's multiple plots of money and I, I try to figure out ways where um, if I'm using a specific technology, uh, email security, well, email security is more of a data security piece. There's a whole e-discovery stuff that compliance and risk wants. All right, if I'm adding all these different modules to my email security platform, should I pay for them or should I try to get them to help me pay for them? And uh, I tried the latter. I tried to spread that bill a little bit. What I find is um, if the company allows me to and there's departments that are involved, now all of a sudden I've got partners. They're involved in my security program. They know what I'm doing and why because they're helping pay for it. And sometimes they might be a little needy and they want more out of it. That's okay because I've got them involved. They're active. And, and I like that. I like I don't mind it being visible. They can see everything I'm working on and what my team is doing. Um, I'm willing to go ahead and I basically look at this the way a system should operate, is you operate with that level of visibility because you build trust within the organization. And um, and so in the process of doing that, I try to spread my bill around a little bit. There. <laughs> you know, it, it helps because you can actually get more resources. All right. Let's get into the spicy stuff as promised. In 2017 and also just recently in 2022, you just updated this, the CISO Manifesto Rules for Vendors. I loved that and I tear that one to pieces. Really, I do. And uh, there are 11 rules out there, right? 11, if I'm not mistaken, I counted them right. But one stood out to me and that was don't pitch your competition. Tell me why. I think the thing about it is, and what I mean by that is um, typically when you're going to go ahead and, and I, and I explained in the, in, in the paragraph, when you come in and you're talking about your technology, um, eventually I may ask, well, how does that compare to this? Or how does that compare to that? Then you can say, well, we do this and we do that. And they do it this way. And we do it this way. And this is better for you because you said that you required this and we are actually situated where we can actually provide that to you. I asked, I asked for the comparison. You gave it to me short, sweet, done. We're out. And now you're back to talking about how great you are. If I don't ask and you just talk about how such and such vendor sucks and you guys are really, really great. That wears on SSO. Cause you're just like, why, why are they all paranoid about this vendor? Why are they just talking trash about this vendor? I didn't even ask about this vendor. I just wanted to hear about them. I can guarantee you most of us are like taking a note. Uh, let me go take a look at this other vendor here uh, because they're talking bad about them. Obviously, there's something I need to go ahead and go check. So if you really don't want the CISO to go ahead and go really go do a deep dive on this other company, don't be talking trash about them. Instead, talk about yourself, talk about what you provide. And then if the CISO asks, how do you compare then in a nice professional stance, A for B, B for C kind of thing, and show how the difference is and how you basically provide what's requested and then go on about your business. 
that that's all you need to do. You know, and if you keep it clean like that, you keep it professional like that. I'm 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 good that way. I asked the question, you gave me what I needed. I jotted some questions down because I'm being asked what the differences are. We're good to go. I like what you're doing. You've answered my questions and we move on. I've honestly had people come in and they spend 60, 70% of the discussion trashing like two other vendors. And I'm like, by the end of the time that we had allotted, you spent more time talking about the other two vendors than you did talking about yourself. And one of the first things I'm going to do after you leave is I'm going to go look up these other two vendors and find out why are you paranoid about this? Mm -hmm. At what point do those vendor comparison sheets on websites help you or not? Are those no-nos? I mean, they're, they're okay. But the problem is, is that if I'm looking at three vendors, I can pull down their three sheets and they're all going to say different things, which is kind of funny. Um, or that you'll use terminologies differently, but you're talking about the same freaking crap, and it which drives me nuts as well. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll pull them down. It gives me an average. It basically gives me an idea, services-wise, what you have. you know. And then what I'll do is when I talk with you and we actually talk, I'll dig in depth so I make sure I better understand them. And that's usually where I'll ask comparison-wise, hey, I noticed on your website you went in and you said this. Explain to me what does this mean. Yeah, just be aware. Don't say anything that's outlandish. Make sure you say what you can back up because that you can guarantee you that I probably am talking with the other vendor as well. And I'm going to ask them the same thing. And you don't want to go ahead and say something that's like 50% or it's kind of false, or whatever. Stay, I mean, you know, you got a good company, you got a good business, you got a good service. Stay true to what you got. That's what I'm saying. Just keep it real. I mean, because again, I've got access to my, my, a lot of my fellow peers who are customers or who aren't customers because they've had a bad experience. I'm going to find out. So don't BS me. Don't make stuff up. Go by what you got. I'm going to ask questions. Tell me and we're going about our business. All right. So there are 10 more and we won't, we won't dig into those here, but I will link that in the episode here so that everybody can go take a look, save that and put that in their back pocket. But I want to understand and know if there are any other cardinal rules you think security vendors, market orders, sales, what's above, below, and between are breaking these days apart from those that you mentioned in the manifesto. I think the biggest one that's really annoying right now is um, the uh, when they go ahead and they contact you, hey, you got 15 minutes to talk. We all know it's not 15 minutes. We all know we're looking at an hour. All right, so don't BS. Uh, we all know what the times are. Just tell us what you need. So th that that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. Between that and the fact that uh, just because I attended an event, well, I attended an event with 500 other people, it doesn't mean I came and talked to you. So don't contact me and say, hey, we talked about this. No, we didn't. I know who I talked to. Uh, those kind of false things right away, I won't even bother to discuss with you um, because I'm very much... I'm one of those people that, um, you know, I hold you to your word. I hold you to what you promise. I hold you to, you know, the, the who you are. And if you play kind of tactics like that, I'm just not interested. I'm not going to trust you to go ahead. I'm not going to trust you with my team. I'm not going to trust you with what we need. Um, that's what I'm just saying is that if, if, if I didn't really actually talk to you 
and reach out and spend the conversation with you and we exchanged information don't pretend that we did because um i remember you know and that is one of the things that drives this was crazy noted here do not insult intelligence <laughs> that's in the 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 article the whole thing of Hey, you're coming to talk to me about your company and blah, blah, blah. But you haven't even bothered to look me up on LinkedIn or done any research as to who you're talking to. And then you get in there and you're talking down to me and like I'm somebody that doesn't even know what the hell I'm doing. or I don't even know my my own space or my own community. And I'm just looking at you like, dude, I'm about ready to beat you to death with a stapler. Get out of my office. <laughs> you're wasting my time. Why are you actually here? Um, I, I, I hate that. I understand that you got a job. I, I've worked in sales. Got it. I understand the pressures, but you should do the research because I can guarantee you I've done the research on you before I even talk to you. Okay, so story time. What's the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor? I mean, you listed a lot in the rules, but is there a specific example that you could uh, give some color? I had a vendor, we went ahead and we set up, I was interested in the technology and um, they come into my office and I guess they had just smoked a joint before they came in. Because, man, they smelled like marijuana, like heavily. And I'm sitting there, I'm talking to the guy, and I could tell I could tell he was seriously buzzing. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and you're at my work. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm just looking at him, and it was funny. He's just like, he's just jabbering away while he's talking. He's having a good time with the discussion, really animated. And I'm laughing more at just the discussion, and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm in this situation. I have never had this happen. But I'm, it was just, yeah, it was, uh, that was, I have to admit, that was pretty surreal. Okay. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear what the alternative is. Don't come to a meeting. high. <laughs> Next. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what's, holy moly. What's one thing a vendor has done that made you feel good? Like what, what, what worked for you? I think what was interesting was um, I had a vendor who we actually met at an event and we actually just talked about our families. We talked about what we were doing in the community and what we were doing. And and, um, and he just asked, hey, can I reach out to you later? We're doing blah, blah, blah. Is this something that you would be interested in? And I said, yeah, we actually got um, an issue around that. And we're going to be addressing that. And so, I mean, we, we kind of established a relationship first. And he asked, would it be okay if we could go ahead and talk? And I said, yeah, this is a problem issue that I'm, that I'm dealing with. And then he proceeded to go ahead and, and contact me. And then when he went ahead and came out, we went ahead and we sat and we whiteboarded and we discussed the issues. And what I found is at the end of it, they weren't a fit because of our internal networks. We're just really unique. They, they, they weren't a fit. And he was the one that went and stated, hey, I don't think we're going to be able to help you. And this is why it would probably be a really bad user experience because of this and everything. Um, and so we had, and so he was the one that was just honest, you know, said, you know, hey, this is, you know, these are the issues that would probably happen and we probably wouldn't be a fit. And we parted, not a problem at all. And I referred three other systems to him because the guy was honest. There you go. That is a very central theme to this podcast, a very central keyword to all of the conversations I've had and you are number 20, I think 20 conversations I've had and honesty, trust, credibility, accountability, transparency are five keywords yeah. that always show up 
or always pop up in my conversation. So I love that. Well, we are headed towards the end of this session, but before we sign off, Gary, is there anything that you want to impart on the audience today? I think the biggest thing um, that I've been talking about, and I wrote the the resilience article just about the same time I left, I posted the manifesto one. It's just that from a, from a community standpoint, many of us are coming back into work. Many of us um, are in upheaval as things are changing. And the big thing that myself and Chris Roberts and a bunch of us are talking about is self-care. Be aware of the stress on yourself. Be aware of the stress within your teams and within the community. If somebody um, that you're one of your peers within the community asks for help or they're having problems, help out. We all need to help each other right now. Just as we were having major issues as we went into COVID, we're having major issues as we're kind of coming out of it and we're kind of dealing with all the after effects and all the stuff that's going on. Um, and so the big thing about self-care and just building that resilience within ourselves and within our teams is really important. And the biggest piece of it is that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay that if you've got issues and you need assistance, that's what we're all here for. This community is very close-knit. Um, just ask for it. Yeah, that's great. Much appreciated. And Gary, this has been such a pleasure. I hope you had a great time just as I had. Thank you again. And you're always welcome to come back. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.